0: Place our hope is safe within your name. This we know. This we know. You promise never to forsake what you began, you will sustain. This we know. This we know I will call upon the Lord, for He alone is strong enough to save. Surprise, so your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken everything. Of the heavens and the earth Announce the fullness of your word. This we know This we know And every enemy will flee As we declare your victory This we know This we know, I will call upon the Lord, for he alone is strong enough to save. So rise, your shackles are no more, for Jesus Christ has broken every chain. Jesus' name will break every stronghold Come is ours when we call his name Jesus' name above every other all hail the power of Jesus' name Jesus' name will break every stronghold for he alone is strong enough to save. rise your shackles are no more for jesus christ has broken every chain shackles are no more. Jesus Christ has broken every chain. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet, and now at his feet we bow. The one who wore our sin and shame, now robed in majesty, the radiance of perfect love now shines for all to see your name your name is victory all praise will rise to christ our king Here that held us now gives way to him who is our peace. His final breath upon the cross is now alive. of defeat the resurrected king is resurrecting me it's in your name i come alive to declare your victory the resurrected king is resurrecting
1: good to praise him, isn't it? I'm reminded through the songs that we're, um, that we're singing today. And also another song I was telling Kate about, I'm like, Kate, I heard a new song. And she's like, yeah, that one's on the radio too. <laughs> I was like, oh, I thought I, thought I beat you to that one. But anyway, um, we might sing this song eventually, but I, and I, I, I should have honestly looked up the exact words to it, but the first part of it says something to the effect of maybe the rocks do wish they had words. But it's my joy, it's my joy to get to use my words and my mouth to sing his praise. And um, so we're going to sing So Will I, um, that speaks so much of the creation and how God made it and God ordained it and God evolved the, the species, right? Like this is all glory to praise be to him like God and science do not conflict he made it and we praise him for it and we are beings that that get to do this with our mouth and more importantly with our hearts so let's keep that in mind as we sing hundred billion so long. week. <laughs> Nothing that we could measure would ever amount to be able to, to show how much you love us and how much you do desire to not leave anyone behind. But God, that it is your will that that all men come to you, that all men lay their lives before you like you have laid your life down. God, I just pray that you would help those truths come um, So closely to our heart as we have worshiped you in word, now let us also worship you as we hear um, from Brian and Pastor Paul. God, help our hearts be open to where you would lead us. May our lives look like you. May we be um, your love here in the flesh, walking out um, in your kingdom. It's In your name we pray, amen.
2: Pastor Paul asked me to do the connection moment before Christmas, um, and I'll be honest with you, with Christmas happening, I completely forgot about being asked. Um, anybody ever been there before? And so he texted me uh, this week and said, hey, you ready to go on Sunday? And I thought, sure, you know. <laughs> To be honest, like it had totally slipped in my mind, and there have been some things that have come up in between, but um, he threw a suggestion at me. He said, if you don't you know, have a direction of where to go, may, may I suggest this? And it's amazing how God works in, in, in ways that we didn't even expect. He said that, and all of a sudden, just like these thoughts came into my mind. About something I could share this morning. Um, I've had a lot of really good opportunities uh, in, in my life. I think that I'm old, I'm 43. Some of you out there would laugh at me and say I'm nowhere close to being old. I've had students at school who ask me if I'm, I'm ready to die, kind of thing. You know, it is what it is. Um, But not so long ago, half a lifetime ago, I had the opportunity to go on many missions trips um, to several different countries uh, through Mount Vernon Nazarene University, where I graduated from. But even after I had left, um, I got to be part of a program that a gentleman by the name of Joe Noonan, who has been the assistant chaplain at Mount Vernon. He might be the full-time chaplain. In my opinion, Joe Noonan should run the world. He's one of the most impressive people I've ever met. And, And I knew I'd get an amen from Josh. I mean that. Joe's amazing. And he, he took on these mission trips, I got to go to Mexico, I got to go to uh, the Bahamas and Belize with Joe. And some of you say Bahamas and Belize aren't mission opportunities, that's just vacation. But no, we really got to see some really, really interesting uh, aspects of those places that they don't show in the travel brochures. And Joe took us through training. Every time we got to go, he would take us through, I guess what you would call a cultural training. And the one thing he said to us was, there's a phrase I want you to remember, he said. He said, I want you to remember this phrase. That's different. I wonder why they do it that way. That's different. I wonder why they do it that way. He said, if you don't remember anything else I've ever taught you, I want you to remember this phrase, that's different. I wonder why they do it that way. And really what he was trying to do was he was trying to prepare us to be if I can be blunt enough in front of my congregation, to be Americans in a place that wasn't American. Does that make sense? <laughs> to go into other cultures into other places where we're supposed to be the ones helping and the ministers and to not be so thrown off by what's different or maybe unexpected. I don't mean wrong, but unexpected, that we would make faces or that we would react in a way that would be offensive. Perfect example. We're in the Bahamas and... Um, I don't know if you know this, but like two blocks off of like all the resorts are basically third world country situations. If you've never seen that, that's how it exists. I mean, I've never, I've, I've seen 10 shacks on TV and then they took us to the Bahamas. Um, and we were there to help a Nazarene church. And so we were with, it was a high school group. I was a college student, we were with a high school group. And then we came in to help and they sat us down to feed us one day. And the first day they brought us homemade rice and beans and red snapper that they had caught out of the ocean. How many of you think that sounds good? Because it was. How many of you ever eaten a fish with a head still on it? Yeah, and the eyeball's still in, right. And so they're serving the food, and I mean, they have gone to great lengths and expense and effort to do this, and so they're handing out the plates of food, and we're sitting down to eat, and one of the high schoolers who's sitting there, like, you can just watch it happen. His face just kind of (laughs) goes. And you know that he's about ready to say something along the lines of, ooh, or gross, or disgusting, and one of the adults in the group very loudly says, my, this is different. I wonder why they do it this way. You know, to kind (laughs) of... And so everybody kind of clued in. Yep, that's what we should be saying, right? And so the kid chilled out. And I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I've been on three different mission trips with Joe. How many times did that phrase has come up and it's made sense? That's a phrase that has been really prominent in my mind the last 18 months. That's different. I wonder why that happened that way. Or I wonder why it's going that way. Or maybe even more importantly, that's different. I wonder why God wants me to do it that way. You ever been in that boat before? I have experienced more new in my life in the last 18 months than I have in the last 23. Um, This time last year, Holly and I celebrated 20 years of being married together. 21 years today is January 6th. 21 years of being married. I never in my lifetime imagined I could think about myself as 21 years of married. It's fantastic. New. Anybody been married long enough to go, sometimes you got to go, that's different. I wonder why she's doing it that way, Right. (laughs) 20 years of marriage leads you to need to be able to say that and not, oh, that's weird or that's gross or, you know, why are you doing it? That's different. I wonder why you're doing that way. Um, For the first time in my life, I have two teenage daughters. One was enough. Two is wonderful. My, that's different. I wonder why she's doing it that way. (laughs) Especially as we train to drive. That's different. (laughs) I wonder why. New job. New city. Um, First time in 17 years of working at the same place. Uh, new staff, and I don't want to make a huge big deal about it, but uh, if you're in the education profession, you know that your coworkers get you through, or or, or don't, if that makes sense at all. Uh, your coworkers are, are family, and I left a family to go and join, you know, another group. Who, looking back on why God did that in my life, I was like, this is not why, why, right? And now I can say that was different. I wonder why You did it that way, because it's transitioned and happened in ways that I could never have imagined. My, that's different. I wonder why you did it that way. On my mind. As we're looking in this series at the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus talking to the disciples, it occurs to me that so many things of what Jesus says is you've heard it said this way, I'm here to tell you this. You know that, right? You know that transition. And I wonder sometimes if we hear the things that God says in our life, and I I can be honest with you, I'm not 100% like every single one of these situations I haven't gone, oh, good, good, God, I'm glad you said it to me. I wonder why there's a lot of it's been no or heels dug in or I don't understand or no, 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 no. I wonder if some of these things that Jesus is saying to the disciples would have been accepted or heard if they leaned into the ideas of what he was saying and understood the phrase, that's different. I wonder why he's saying it that way that's different. I wonder what he wants me to get out of it being this way. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, as we listen to what Pastor Paul brings us, what God's put on his heart, to, to, to think about embracing the ideas of it's different. It's not what I expected. It's not what I thought it was going to be, but God is working in it and asking the questions. I wonder why he did it that way. can lead us to a deeper appreciation and a deeper understanding of what God wants to do for us. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Brian, um, we're in the Identity Crisis series, and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus is teaching, and the disciples are leaning in. And uh, you know, as the disciples are leaning in, this distinguishes them from the crowd. And He's answering this question. What does it mean to be a disciple? So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And last week we, we began looking through the antithesis, and uh, that's hard to say. Say that with me, antithesis. I don't you know how many s's you have to add there, but Jesus begins to teach through this. And, and, and we began with this ideal that disciples seek transfer, transformation not simply the minimum requirements. That Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about what you have to do. It's about what God wants to do in your life. Uh, What God wants to do is far more important than what you have to do. And and so we began with that. And this week we're going to talk about how do we deal with our enemies. Um, Culturally? I think we understand. If, if somebody's asking you how to deal with enemies, you, and you know, you've heard this lesson, so you know that's, that culturally we're not right, but, but we understand how to deal with enemies, and so I, I found this. This was on the internet. It has to be uh, true. Uh, aim towards the enemy printed instruction printed on the US rocket launcher okay that was on the internet it has to be true right we, we, we know what to do with an enemy we you know we we aim a rocket launcher at them we we, 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 we know how to blast people and and we, we know there's ways we can deal with people that have have become enemies we if somebody's wronged us we can let everyone know and do you have another slide other than a rocket launcher because I've got like 15 minutes before you yeah, thank you I don't want to be looking looking at rocket launchers while I'm preaching for the next 15 minutes. But we know how to deal with enemies. If, if somebody's wronged you, uh, we, we let people know. Uh, we, we let people know why they're bad. Sometimes we ignore them. Uh, the problem is they don't care or they don't know, right? And so you're going through all that effort of ignoring them, and it kind of loses the power if you go to them and say, Hey, by the way, I'm ignoring you because I'm mad. So there's all these things that we do. Some some are pretty aggressive and some of them are passive aggressive. But Jesus gives us another way to deal with our enemies. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, Now, to those hearing this, they would say, yeah, yeah, love your neighbor. I, I get love your neighbor, and, and so if I have to love my neighbor, and that was Old Testament, if I have to love my neighbor, so the opposite has to be true. If, if the command is love your neighbor, then we can hate our enemy. And so the question becomes, who is our enemy? Now, now for some at the time of Jesus, an enemy was someone who had not spoken to you for a month. So if somebody doesn't speak to you for a month, then you could classify them as an enemy and you no longer had to love them. Uh, to, to some, um, they, they wouldn't go that extreme. They would say, well, if they were an Israelite, we've we, we got to love them. We've got to care for them, even if they're a foreigner and they're living in our land. But, but those people who are enemies of God, you know, sinners, tax collectors, pagans, Gentiles, Samaritans... We can hate them because God hates them. Maybe they had seized upon this scripture, and this is in Psalm 137, 8 through 9. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. And and this is a real upbeat scripture here. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. That is our positive word for the day, right? You understand that sometimes scripture is not God speaking, but God revealing who we are. <laughs> I don't believe this is the nature of God, but this is the nature of people. And the scripture shows us how we think sometimes. And at the time this is written, they're thinking, man, it would be great if we could just kill their infants and their babies. And they lived like that towards the, their enemies, the people they considered their enemies, the people that were enemies of God. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love those Roman soldiers. See, they had people there that they could see and pray for them. Love those tax collectors and pray for them. Love those dirty, rotten Samaritans and pray for them. Disciples, love those Pharisees. And pray for them. You know, oftentimes we'll, we'll use the phrase, and, and and I'm not. Don't be offended if it's something that you've said. Uh, I understand why we use the phrase. Um, some will use the phrase, "Well, I love the sinner, but I hate the sin." And, and I understand the thought behind that. But understand, this isn't the. These are not the words of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know, love the sinner, but hate the sin. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus gives the correct response, and the correct response is love and pray. You ever done that? You you ever had somebody that that was an enemy that you had a personal relationship with, that you had a falling out, and you said, well, okay, I'm going to take this to heart, and I'm just going to pray. I'm going to do good towards them. They're doing bad towards me. They're, they're not nice. Maybe it's a real enemy, but, but I'm going to do good towards them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to pray for them. You ever done that? I've done that. And what I've found is change. Prayer changes us. It, it connects us to the heart of God. It, sometimes it doesn't change the person that, that's offended us, but it always ever transforms us found this quote, and I think this is true. Prayer does change things, all kinds of things, but the most important thing it changes is us. As we engage in this communion with God more deeply and come to know the one with whom we are speaking more intimately, that growing knowledge of God reveals to us all the more brilliantly who we are and our need to change in conformity to Him. Prayer changes us profoundly so, so you see the invitation of Jesus is, is maybe not that your prayer will change your enemy but maybe your prayer will change you it'll change your perspective it will begin to transform you um, I, I would say and, and you know I'm I'm just a young man I'm only 58 years old that, that I'm young right now, the kids go, man, he's probably about ready to die. Uh, I'm only 58 years old, but in, in my lifetime, I cannot recall a more divisive time in culture ever. Maybe, maybe those that, you, uh, that lived through the 60s, maybe the 60s were, were more divisive, but, but in my lifetime, I, I cannot recall a more divisive time, a more ugly time. I'd like to say that this divisiveness is not present in the church. Boy, that would be great. But unfortunately, sometimes it creeps into the church, and not just the little C church, but the big C church. And there's division and ugliness, and those who think differently than us are seen as enemies. What if we spent more time praying for those we consider enemies, than talking bad about them? What if we begin to extend love towards those people? You know, Jesus tells a parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. We all know the story. There's the, the guy that's traveling, and, and, and he gets beat up, and he's near death, and he has a, he has a, a, a Pharisee and, a, and, a, and a, a priest and a Pharisee that passed by him, and, and then he comes, and there's this Samaritan, and, and this Samaritan helps him, and he pays for his care and takes him to an inn and says, hey, if there's more to be paid, you know, I'll pay it. And, 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 and that question or that parable does describe uh, what love looks like, but that's not the question being asked. Jesus isn't asked, answering the question, what's love? Jesus is answering the question of, who is my neighbor? And in the parable, Jesus is very clearly saying, listen, this guy that you say is different than you, the Samaritan, this one that you consider an enemy, he is your neighbor. And Jesus is expanding the concept of neighbor beyond those who just think the same as us, that love the same things. You know, Samaritans and Jews were far different than Republicans and Democrats. They were seen as immigrants. There there was racial differences. There were huge religious differences. And Jesus is saying, you are called to love them in the same way. Who is my neighbor? The question is, who do I have to love? And Jesus' answer is, people you consider sinners, you have to love. People who vote differently than you, you have to love. People of different racial makeup, you have to love. P- people, people who are immigrants, you have to love. People who are strangers, you have to love. People you don't understand, you have to love. People who don't always treat you fairly, you have to love. You say, well, pastor, doesn't doesn't God hate sin? You, know, you, you can find scripture talking about God hating sin, but, but can I ask you, what does God do in response to sin? God sends his son, Jesus, <laughs> and Jesus dies in the place of sinners like you and me. That is God's response to sinners. It is the ultimate image of love, self giving love. And that flows in the rest of the passage. Let's read the whole passage. You have heard what it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will that get you? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So God, Jesus is saying, listen, my, my father causes the sun and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And sun and rain in this parable are both images of blessing." And I just want to be clear, cold and snow is not an image of blessing, all right? All you people that pray for snow, a pox on you, right? (laughs) God pours out his blessings. He loves all. And Jesus is saying when we love our enemies, we pray for those who persecute us. We are living like our heavenly father. Then we get to the point of the whole teaching. See, that the point of discipleship is complete transformation, not simply finding the minimum requirements. And, and then Jesus gives us this, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You ever read scripture that you wish weren't there? That's one of them. I got to tell you, some, sometimes that, that ideal of perfect. And, and in this scripture, perfect means complete. Mature, whole. You know, it's not perfection as, as we understand perfection, you know, 100% pure, no, no impurities. It's, 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 it's complete. It's mature and whole. And Jesus is saying, listen, your, your standard is not others. Your, your standard is not the Pharisees. Your standard is not your mom and dad. Your standard is not your brother or your sister. Your standard is God. And when God is the standard, in my life at least, I'm always finding ways that I need to grow. I have not arrived. Um, Teddy Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. And, And I think comparison in our spiritual life can affect us also. That when we constantly compare ourselves to how others are doing spiritually, it can stifle our ability to grow. You can always find someone who's doing it better than you. And you can always find someone who's doing it worse than you, right? And so we get caught up in jealousy or pride. And Jesus says, listen, keep your eyes on the Father. Don't don't look at each other. Keep your eyes on the Father. That is the image that you need to duplicate. Now this ideal of being perfect like our Heavenly Father's perfect is not a new command, it's an old command. Jesus isn't doing something different here. It's always been the point. From the very beginning of the story, the point is being imitators of God, created in His image. In Leviticus it says, be holy, for I am holy. You ever wonder why in the Bible it says no graven images? Don't don't make any graven images. There's not to be any graven images because we're the image bearers. God doesn't want to be an image made of stone or rock or precious metal. He wants us to be the image bearers. We're to be God's images. Why is it so important not to take the Lord's name in vain? And what's that mean? Oftentimes we get caught up in saying bad words, but that's not about saying bad words. It's about saying, I belong to God, but not living according to his measure. That's what it means to take God's name in vain. It's to say, I'm a Christian, but to hate your neighbor. See, God's calling us to be image bearers. That's always been the point. Now, now God realizes that we need more. We, We need the Holy Spirit. And so Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We live in the age of dispensation. We live in the age where the Holy Spirit is available. There's the possibility of a new spirit. There's a possibility of a heart of flesh. Last week I used the phrase optimistic grace. Our theology is optimistic. Number one, we believe that God's grace is sufficient for all, but we also believe that God's grace can change us. It can transform us. You know, we live in a pessimistic culture, but I'm going to stay optimistic because my God is optimistic. He sees us with our possibilities. He sees the best in us, He sees the hope of entire sanctification. He sees the hope of holiness, of transformation. See, that is the hope of a disciple. See, disciples live towards something more. Disciples live towards the fullness of God, not the minimum requirements. They they don't live towards what other people are doing. They live towards what God is calling them to. See, we're called to be people of love and prayer in in the midst of a culture full of hate and anger. We're called to be different. How do you escape this culture? There's only one way. You lean into Jesus. Jesus. If you want to escape the crowd, there's one way, and you lean in. And so our altar times, our prayer times, our lean-in times. We' um, bring the lights down, we're we'll going to put some music on, and just give you some space. Um, you know altars are great places to lean in. And, and maybe there's a relationship that you're dealing with, and all of us deal with relationship. You know, it, it would be easy to love other people if there weren't so many other people. Amen? All of us have relationships that we deal with. And maybe there's one weighing on you that, that maybe you just need to come and, and say, God, you've got to help me here. And, and can, I, can I tell you, if, if you lean into him, he helps. So we're going to give you some space. We're going to put some music on. And then I'm going to close this in prayer. Lord, we sense your presence you're here. We're thankful for that. Lord, we're thankful for the invitation. And I'm reminded of the words of Paul. Now let me tell you a better way. Something that's more. Something that looks like our Heavenly Father. And it's the way of love. Lord, love's not easy. Lord, I think of Jesus, and on the night he was crucified, when he he showed us the full extent of love, there was a time of wrestling in the garden. Teardrops like blood. As he wrestled with showing the love of God through his obedience to his heavenly Father, even to the point of death on a cross. So, Lord, as I pray, I pray with this understanding that I have an advocate that stands before you and explains to the Father how difficult it can be That he was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, that he was betrayed, that he had enemies and yet he loved. So there's this optimistic call in our life to love in the face of anger, to be different, to not fall captive to a culture that's pessimistic, that's full of fear, that's full of anger and hatred, but to live towards love. And Lord, I'm convinced that the key to that is not just self-well, but prayer. That, that Lord, you can transform us from the inside out when we bring these these relationships, these things that are going on in our life to you, and we lay them before you at an altar of prayer, and we say, Lord, I can't, but I know you can. So Lord, help us to strive to be holy, to be different. To be perfect and complete and mature and whole like our Heavenly Father. To let go of all those things that hold us back. Those grudges, those hurts, not that they're not real. But Lord, when we dwell on those, when when that becomes the focus of our life, it never takes us completely towards you. So Lord, this morning, there's somebody dealing with a relationship. I pray that your spirit will move in a new way. That you'll release them from the bondage of unforgiveness and bitterness. That your Holy Spirit will do a new work in their life. And Lord, they'll see that person in a different way, in the way you see them. Lord, I'm going to confess, I've not arrived that this call to be perfect like you, I don't feel like I'm there. I need more of your spirit. Lord, keep working on me. Lord, I want to be optimistic, not only in my, my, my view of the world, but in my view of myself, that, that Lord, I, I believe that you can continue to transform and renew me. So, Lord, I'm yours. Do with me as you will. Lord, I pray for our church, for each individual sitting here, and for our community as a whole. May we be holy. May we be different. May we be perfect and complete and whole. May we be people who model what it it looks like in the scripture that we love those who are enemies and we pray for those who persecute us. Now, Lord, we're thankful that this is not something that we do on our own. But, Lord, we can trust your spirit in all of this. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to you. Lord, to allow you to work in a fresh way in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, folks.